الجزيرة بودكاست Any fan of mob movies is likely familiar with one of their central lessons. Never ride on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. Informants, more colloquially known as snitches, have been fuel for Hollywood for decades, from comedies... I told you, Jive Chops, I ain't no snitch. ...to dramas... You are a cover-up artist and you are a liar. But not a snitch. Even children's movies... He snitched on us. Being a snitch is treated with contempt. In reality... The use of snitches, also known as criminal informants, has become a key part of the US criminal system. And one legal scholar suggests the problems with snitching go far beyond the tattletale accusations you see in the movies. The worst implications of snitching are that we have given up on justice. I'm Hala Mohiuddin, and this is The Take. Today I'm talking to Alexandra Natapov, a Harvard Law professor and former Baltimore Assistant Federal Public Defender. She was struck by the widespread use of informants and wrote a book, Snitching, Criminal Informants and the Erosion of American Justice, and the second edition was just released. I want to start off with something that's in the introduction of your book, and that's the story of Katherine Johnson. Katherine Johnson, in a way, was a perfect storm, the exemplary tragedy of what happens when we permit the American criminal system to use informants. Can you tell me about her case? The Atlanta police got a tip from someone that they had just arrested on the street. It was a November day in Atlanta back in 2006, and the police had just arrested a suspected marijuana dealer, Fabian Sheets. To get out of a trip to jail, Sheets told the officers he knew about an address close by where there was a dealer with a kilogram of cocaine, a much bigger arrest than Sheets' own. The police tried to send one of their own registered informants to the address to buy some cocaine and corroborate what Sheets had told them. But they couldn't make it happen in time. So they lied. They got a no-knock warrant. They burst into the home. Officers entered Johnston's home on a no-knock drug warrant based on bad information. The tip was bad. There were no drugs in the home. It was Catherine Johnston's home, a 92-year-old grandmother. When they burst into the home, Mrs. Johnston thought that she was being robbed and she had a gun in the house and they killed her. Johnston's killing shocked the neighborhood. This is her niece, Sarah Dozier. She is 92 years old. They shot her down like a dog. But it didn't end with Katherine Johnson's death. The officers tried to cover up their bad act by planting drug evidence in Johnston's home. When they realized that it had been a bad tip, there were no drugs, they called another informant of theirs and they offered to pay that informant to say that he had bought drugs at that address to cover up the fact that they had lied in order to get the warrant. The reason we know this is because that second informant snitched, but on the police this time. 
it all came out. There was a federal investigation. The police officers were prosecuted, but Mrs. Johnston was dead. It's a case that captures so many of the problems with the use of informants. The police were allowed to make a deal with a drug dealer on the street in exchange for information that happened to be bad. They lied multiple times to try to cover up their misconduct. And an innocent woman in a heavily policed, low-income neighborhood of color suffered the consequences. It sounds like there's so many layers of things that have gone wrong here. And can you just explain to our listeners what is snitching Mm -hmm. and how does this differ from simply being a witness? A witness is a source of information. They're not getting anything in exchange for their testimony. They're simply providing evidence. In order to understand snitching, you have to understand that the American criminal system runs on deals. 95% of all the convictions in this country are the result of a plea, of a deal. We almost never go to trial in the United States. We almost never test the evidence. In effect, we've created this enormous market with an enormous amount of deregulated give and take. The government can pressure people into pleading guilty using all the resources at its disposal. 95% of cases don't even go to trial. I'm talking to you from outside the U.S., And the image we have of American justice is all these courtroom dramas that you see where rights are wronged. In the criminal justice system, all defendants are innocent until proven guilty. It's just astonishing that that so many of these cases aren't even making it as far as a courtroom. Unfortunately, if you've seen it on Law & Order, it's probably not how it actually works. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Stop watching TV. (laughs) I don't want to judge you enjoying those various (laughs) shows, but they have nothing to do with how the American criminal system actually operates. Our criminal codes criminalize so much conduct, from the very serious to the very minor. That is an enormous amount of leverage. And the government has historically used it to induce people not to have their day in court, but instead to cut a deal. And one of the big, under-the-table, highly secretive things that they put pressure on individuals to do is to become informants in exchange for avoiding arrest. Like in that last case, where Fabian Sheets offered information to avoid jail. The justice system allows all sorts of leniency in exchange for information, Alexandra says. It doesn't sound like it'd be much of a voluntary thing to do then to be a snitch. Mm, That's a good question. (laughs) So we permit the government to make a deal with anyone. So sometimes we see the government make deals with very serious criminals. And sometimes those individuals choose to become informants because it's good for them. Sometimes it's not as clear that there's an act of choice. At the very opposite end of the spectrum, we also permit the U.S. government to pressure people with mental health disabilities, substance use disorders, even children, into becoming informants if they are frightened of being arrested for their own misconduct. We permit the government to leverage that extraordinary power to pressure people all across the spectrum. Crikey. And the legal system offers a lot of benefits in addition to leniency. There's monetary compensation. U.S. agencies like the FBI and the Drug Enforcement Agency have millions of dollars in budgets used to pay informants. 
There's even something colloquially known as the snitch visa that law enforcement can offer informants who would otherwise not be legally authorised to be in the United States. And sometimes they use family members to pressure potential informants to talk. Take the infamous case of Enron, the Texan energy giant. One of the biggest corporate scandals in history and changing the course of business as we know it. Enron became synonymous with corporate fraud in the US back in the early 2000s. The company's head, Kenneth Lay, was under investigation by the US Justice Department. And the government wanted his second-in-command, Andrew Fastow, to give up information. But Fastow was reluctant. Here he is in front of Congress in 2002. On the advice of my counsel, I respectfully decline to answer the question based on the protection afforded me under the Constitution of the United States. But the US government had another point of leverage at their disposal. They indicted Fastow's wife for tax fraud because the Fastows had two young children. The government indicated that they would prosecute them and convict them at the same time and make sure that their sentences were imposed in such a way that their children would be rendered orphans. And from that perspective, it worked. Eventually, Fastow testified. It's just worth noting that there was nothing illegal about that. The government had that power at its disposal, and it was entitled to use it. Andrew Fastow, of course, was extraordinarily well-resourced, represented, powerful individual. So you could only imagine the way that the government deploys that kind of power against the vulnerable. More about how snitches contribute to the wrongful conviction of the vulnerable after the break. Hello, I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. In season four, we carry on exploring the lives of history's most notable figures, from Rosa Parks to Pol Pot. We meet the people who changed the way we think about our world, and those who left it marked by their infamy. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts. Today I'm talking with Professor Alexandra Natapov about how the US legal system uses criminal informants. And there's probably no more infamous use of snitches than those in organised crime. Whitey Bulger was one of the most infamous mob bosses in American history after eluding police for more... That includes Whitey Bulger and Stephen Flemmy, who were some of the FBI's most infamous informants in the 1980s. They were both working for the FBI. And because they were such useful informants over the years against their rival organized crime syndicate, the Italian Mafia, which the FBI was more interested in, the FBI protected Whitey Bulger and Stephen Flemmy from the consequences of their own crimes, including murder, extortion, racketeering. That is, until the deal came to light, causing an outrage in the U.S., Congress held a series of hearings to investigate. They issued a report called Everything Secret Degenerates, the FBI's use of murderers as informants. That debacle led to changes at the federal level and increased accountability and transparency. And Bulger and Flemmy both went to prison, where Bulger was eventually killed. 
Bolger seemed to have a target on his back after becoming an FBI informant and working with authorities to put away his former associates. Can you just outline how these high-profile cases mm. tend to differ from someone selling drugs in a local market, so like low-level crime? So Bulger and Flemmy essentially had personal protection from a high-level FBI agent. They themselves had access to money, to resources, and they were operating uh, in ways that eventually we were able to learn about because at the highest echelons of government, at the FBI and the federal level, there's a paper trail. By contrast, at the very other end of the spectrum, imagine a person with substance use disorder buying drugs on the street who's stopped by the police and the police offers them a deal. If you give us a tip, we'll let you go this time. We will never learn about that deal. If something terrible happens to that informant as a result of them giving information, we will never learn about it. They are at the mercy of that arrangement. So the transparency and accountability also ranges from sophisticated, complicated deals with high-resourced informants all the way to the hundreds of thousands of deals that happen every year that we will never know about and in which people are at risk, people may be losing their lives and under pressure from the government to cooperate in these ways. So do these informants take risks? I mean, what kind of safety measures are in place for them? Let me tell you a story about a young woman named Rachel Hoffman. Rachel Hoffman was a young college graduate in Florida and she was caught with some marijuana and a few pills by the police. The police convinced her to become an informant so that she could avoid jail. And so without telling her family, she agreed. Police sent her to buy cocaine, 1,500 ecstasy pills, and a handgun from high-level targets. And they sent her off in her car, and they lost track of her over the surveillance equipment. And Rachel was found, two days later, killed with the gun that the police had sent her off to buy. Johnny Devine was Rachel Hoffman's lawyer. He described to the press what happened to his client. Did she smoke marijuana? Yes. Fine. But they went in, they put her in a situation where she was asked to go in and purchase 1,500 pills of ecstasy, crack cocaine, and a firearm. She has no experience with crack cocaine. She definitely has no experience with a firearm. This young girl. And Alexandra says the only reason we know what happened to Rachel is because her parents demanded answers. It is a tragedy that we know about because of what her parents did. They started a foundation to help educate the public about the role of informants. Here's Hoffman's mother speaking to a Florida local news channel, WFLA. I tell them, basically I tell them, say no if you're ever asked to work for law enforcement because it may cost you your life. It's dangerous. Her parents also became advocates, working with lawyers to create a set of regulations around informants. They pushed the state to adopt them, and they won. The Florida legislature passed Rachel's Law. It now requires law enforcement agencies to provide special training for officers who recruit confidential informants. But the thing to notice is that most of the time, the state does not provide and is not obligated to provide training or protection for informants who take the risk in order to obtain leniency for themselves. 
How reliable are these informants? So this is a wor- the secretive world, as you can hear. Yeah. It's just worth remembering that these are just the ones we know about. This is not a random sample of the American criminal system. But 15 years ago, Northwestern University Law School, their Center on Wrongful Convictions, issued a very a seminal and influential report called the Snitch System. And they looked at wrongful capital convictions in the United States. That is people sitting on death row yeah. who were eventually exonerated. So we knew that they were innocent. And the study found that over 45% of those innocent people who ended up on death row were there because of a lying informant. That's crazy. 45% of (laughs) death row conviction. I can't get my head around that. But why is the US continuing to use this system? It just seems mad. What a wonderful question. Why why do we keep doing it? You could ask that about a lot of features of the American criminal system. Why do we lock up more people than any other Western democracy? Why do we have such profound racial disparities in the people that we arrest and convict and incarcerate? The phenomenon of American mass incarceration has all these unjust and dysfunctional features. Why do we also permit this feature, the informant market, to sit unregulated underneath our plea bargaining system. Why do we permit this? And and I think we only really started to learn about it about 20 years ago. We only started to get the information about this secretive process. And so what has slowly started to happen is that the ship is slowly turning. And I emphasize the word slowly because it is a big ship, the criminal system, and it does not turn quickly. But things have changed a bit since Professor Natapoff wrote the first edition of this book back in 2009. I had worked in the criminal system and I had seen just how profound the impact of informant policies were, not just on criminal cases, but on communities, on families, on the racialization of crime. And since then, I and many, many others have been working on this challenge. And the hopeful note is that so much has happened 13 years ago, very few states were engaged in reform. But now, more and more US states have passed or are considering regulations that help govern the use of informants, including Rachel's Law in Florida. Unfortunately, we've seen reform because of the tragedies that we have now learned about. What do defenders of snitching say? Is there a case to argue that this policy of snitching actually helps in some instances? So law enforcement tells us, the FBI certainly tells us that they could not have dismantled the enormous edifice of organized crime without informants. From my perspective, there's a chapter in the book called How the Other Half Lives, and it looks at the use of informants in white collar crime on Wall Street Mm. against hedge fund insider trading in the context of political corruption, the deal with the devil that we cut may be worth the benefits of being able to go after very powerful, high-resourced offenders who victimize others, who steal millions of dollars, who destabilize our economy and our democracy in various ways. But the problem with that is that that cost-benefit analysis, which I think in an ideal world we would have a democratic debate about, we don't get to have that conversation because the whole system is so secretive. We will never know 
how many informants on Wall Street are preventing fraud or insider trading, and we'll never know how many of them did terrible things in their own right. I think theoretically there is a case for controlled, thoughtful, transparent, fair uses of the informant deal, but the way we currently run the American criminal system, that kind of accountability is not on the table. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai with Chloe K. Lee, Amy Walters, Ruby Zaman, Alexandra Locke, Ashish Malhotra, and me, Hala Mahiyadeen. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Elmalek and Adam Abugad are The Take's engagement producers. Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back 